Our first reading is from Romans 8, 22 to 30, uh, page 916-916 in your pew Bibles. And it says, it says as follows, We know that the whole creation has been groaning, as in the pains of childbirth, right up until the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. And our second reading is from Habakkuk chapter 3, which is on page 765, that's 765 in your pew Bibles. And it's a prayer of Habakkuk the prophet. And it says, Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds, Lord. Repeat them in our day and in our time make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. God came from Teman, the Holy One from Mount Paran. His glory covered the heavens and his praise filled the earth. His splendor was like the sunrise. Rays flashed from his hand where his power was hidden. Plague went forth before him. Pestilence followed his steps. He stood and shook the earth. He looked and made the nations tremble. The ancient mountains crumbled and the age-old hills collapsed, but he marches on forever. I saw the tents of Kushan in distress, the dwellings of Midian in anguish. Were you angry with the rivers, Lord? Was your wrath against the streams? Did you rage against the sea when you rode your horses and your chariots to victory? You uncovered your bow, bow and called for many arrows. You split the earth with rivers. The mountains saw you and writhed. Torrents of water swept by. The deeds roared and lifted its waves. The deep roared and lifted its waves on high. Sun and moon stood still in the heavens and the glint of your flying arrows at the lightning of your flashing spear. In wrath you strode through the earth and in anger you threshed the nations. You came out to deliver your people to save your anointed one. You crushed the leader of the land of wickedness. You stripped him from head to foot. With his own spear, you pierced his head when his warriors stormed out to scatter us, gloating as though about to devour the wretched who were in hiding. You trampled the sea with your horses, churning the great waters. I heard and my heart pounded, my lips quivered at the sound. Decay crept into my bones and my legs trembled. Yet I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nation 
invading us. Though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the, in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Saviour. The Sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to tread on the heights. This is the word of the Lord. Actually, in the scripture, it's got one more section. I don't know why, but it's, it's at the very bottom of it. It's not on the printed one there. It says, for the director of music on my stringed instruments. For the director of music on my stringed instruments. In other words, this is a song that Habakkuk penned. Shall I pray? Let me pray. Jesus Christ, we've heard of your fame. We stand now in awe of your deeds. We know what you've done in the past, and we ask you to repeat them in our day, renew them in our day. In our day, make your deeds known. We pray, along with the book of Revelation, the, the suffering in Revelation, we pray, come, Lord, come. Amen. So my, my message today is simple, even if the book is a little complicated. And that's uh, this, that life is complicated and hard and not easy to understand. There's a mystery to it. But the key is to rely on God. He has the power to end all evil and injustice, and he will. And he has the passion to forgive sins, and he does. In the words of Dr. John Dixon, in difficult times, we may not be able to trace God's hand, right? not, not know what, what he's doing and why he's doing it, but we can trust his heart, See, relying on God. Or in the words of the late queen, gentle as always, I know just how much I rely on my own faith to guide me through the good times and the bad. Each day is a new beginning. I know that the only way to live my life is to take the long view, that's Habakkuk's position, and to put my trust in God. Or in the simple words of Habakkuk the prophet, though everything goes south, 3 verse 18, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. That's a gift to us here today. Habakkuk is a short, ancient book with wisdom for modern life. It's 2,600 years old. Here's a copy that was found in the Dead Sea Scrolls. This is not modern self-help. As I said last week, you're not going to find this book on the self-help section at Dimmick's. This is good news. Habakkuk is a confident prophet, even in the face of trouble. He's very forthright, as Jen said when she started the service, very direct with God in prayer. How come you're not doing anything about the evil? Why do you remain silent? You should be doing something. I would do something if I could do something. You can do something and you aren't doing anything. He faces up to genuine evil in the world around him and to a coming tragedy. He feels sick to the stomach, 3 verse 16, and yet he concludes his prophecy with these profound, enviable and famous words. Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vine, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls. You know what the most important words, the word is on that screen up there? Look up there. What's the most important word? 
It's the word no. Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vine, not even a little, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stores, what Habakkuk is describing here is a complete economic collapse where he's left with nothing, nothing, no evidence of the good here and now, no evidence of the blessing of God, and yet, 3 verse 18, and yet, and yet, is this possible? Is it possible? Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I'll rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to go to the heights. It begs the question, what does he know that I don't know? What does he see that I don't see? I mean, I've got things. He has no things. And yet he rejoices in the Lord. So what did Habakkuk have if he didn't have anything? The quote of the series, a Nigerian poet, when suffering knocks at your door, you say there's no seat for him. He tells you not to worry because he's brought his own stool. How will you handle suffering when it stubbornly sits down in your household? The riddle embedded in Habakkuk 3 is how you can have nothing and everything at the same time. You can experience the loss of everything I hold most dear. Fig trees, grapes, cattle, sheep. And yet, still rejoice that I have what is most important, or rather who is most important. Habakkuk in chapter 1 has directly complained to God about the sin among his people in Jerusalem and Judah. And God answered, saying that the just judgment for that sin will be a Babylonian invasion, um, modern-day Iraq. And that was promised all the way back in Deuteronomy, in the Torah, there will be bloodshed and an exile. That's chapter 1. And yet there will be an end to all the evil in God's time, represented by the fall of Babylon in chapter 2. Though it linger, wait for it. It will certainly come and not delay. All of this is specific to Israel. You can't transfer it, for example, to what's happening in the Ukraine. Not directly. This is specific to Israel and promised in the Torah that if Israel disobeys God, they'd be taken to distant lands and more. The disobedience will result in an economic collapse. Fig trees not blooming. No sheep, no cattle in the store. This is an early way of saying that the wages of sin is death, Romans 6, 23. Now Habakkuk knew that this collapse was coming to Judah. He wrote in the year 600 BC, and all this happened in recorded history, 13 years after this prophecy in 587 BC, when Babylon swept in from the north, captured the king, flattened the city, destroyed the temple and exiled the people, and the knowledge of this almost destroyed Habakkuk, as you can imagine. This series is about what to do in the face of suffering when it, suffering knocks at your door. I take it if you suffer deeply, it's very easy for your horizon to be filled with the pain. It's hard to see anything joyful in front of you when the horizon is filled with pain. If people are knocking you down, it's hard not to stare at the dirt. When your insides are going crazy with pain, it's hard not to go into your shell, to be curved inward. As the married couples, we talked about that briefly. 
at the beginning of our time today. How then will you be able to see higher than a horizon filled with pain? How will you get up out of the dirt, which is Job's question, and how do you get out of your shell? You'll need to know something about God, and you'll need to know the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because one answer is, just move on, plow forward, head down, grit teeth, stiff upper lip, keep moving forward. It's a very Aussie answer, and maybe we learnt it from the British. When cardboard king Richard Pratt was dying, a newspaper article reported that Pratt had had a child by a lover. The child was then 11 years old when he died. And Pratt's wife, long-standing wife, was asked for her opinion about the uh, lover and the child. And she said, no doubt she was fobbing off the journalists, and I can understand why. But she said something which really sums up a way forward, a way forward for you and for me. She said, I think it's something that doesn't need talking about. Why go on with it now? It's unnecessary. Put it this way. Bleep happens and life moves on. Now that's a way, that's a path you could choose. It's a well-worn path. But I want to offer you something this afternoon with a little more traction with your heart, with the suffering, with the real world in which you live, and more importantly, with God himself. Three things to do. Two weeks ago, wrestle with God. I'm learning to wrestle with God, and I have been the last couple of weeks, actually. Wait for God takes a divine, spirit-filled patience. And today, thirdly, rely on God. Trust him. My times are in your hands. Even when all evidence points against trusting him, all evidence, and over many years, his word says otherwise. And God's actions in the past say otherwise too. So trust him. John Dixon, we may not be able to trace God's hand, but we can trust his heart. Three conditions to find this joy. This is in your outline that you picked up as you walked in the door. The whole of you must respond to the whole of God and only God. The whole of you, I get from verse 16, Habakkuk gives a whole-bodied, personal response to the news that he hears. Remember Habakkuk has said, what are you doing about the evil, the injustice in the world? If I could do something, I would. You can and you won't. Why do you make me look at injustice or tolerate wrong? Your eyes are too pure to look on evil. So why do you spend a second tolerating the evil that, I, that we all hate? And God says, well, I'll bring the Babylonian army to judge Judah, the one, the subject of Habakkuk's complaint, and that's how seriously I take sin. I have the passion to deal with the sin, and yet I will win against that army too. I'm, I'm bigger than, than, than it all, and your people will be saved or redeemed. The exodus, a new exodus will happen. It will be repeated with both justice and mercy colliding. I not only have the power to deal with sin, the passion to deal with sin, I have the power to deal with all evil in the world. And effectively, Habakkuk is told, there'll be a death before a resurrection. Sin must be dealt with before hope given. How does Habakkuk respond? And the answer is, with his whole being. I heard, <coughs> I heard, and my heart pounded. 
My lips quivered at the sound. Decay crept into my bones and my legs trembled. Heart, lips, bones, legs. Note the holistic response to the word of God. In Eugene Peterson's The Message, he renders this text. When I heard it, my heart, my stomach did flips. I stammered and stuttered. My bones turned to water. I staggered and stumbled. A little bit too Dr. Zeus for me, but not far from the truth. We discovered last week that God has dealt with sin, my sin, in another strange act, bloodshed and an exile, but not the Babylonian attack on Judah, but Jesus' death for my sin, his bloodshed, his exile from the Father, Christ's passion. Instead of me dying, Jesus died. So my sin is dealt with and the hope given. To the married wedding couples, I threw a rock at God. He absorbed it in the tomb of Jesus Christ. For God defeated not Babylon, not just another human power, but the ultimate enemy, sin and indeed death itself. And he did it not with a sword, but with a cross, such is the humility of God. And not by anyone else's blood shed, but by Christ's blood shed on the cross, which is why my friend, our friend, Emma, our friend, Nathan Tasker, invites all of us to consider the cross in this song. He says, come see where justice and mercy collide. There on his hands and his feet and his side. Come see how long and how deep and how wide is the Father's love. Come see how valuable you really are, worth every tear and the pain of each scar. Or is it tear? Hallelujah, God, with, God is with us. You hear this news of Jesus' saving, redeeming work? How to respond? How about your heart pounding? Lips quivering. I know this is about fear, but maybe this is about a response in joy. Legs trembling. No more debate about the head Christians who think too much and heart Christians who feel too much. How about this? Head, heart, hands, feet, guts, lips, legs, everything. God made all of you and he wants all of you. And yet you live in the real world, yet I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nation invading us. I'll wait patiently for the evil to be concluded by God. But he wants a response from you. He doesn't want a compartmentalized you that sort of pops into church as a religious activity and then back out into the real world to live your, you know, good life. He wants the whole of you. Not one that simply moves on or puts your head down or grits your teeth. This is why the command of God is to love God with your heart, soul, mind, strength. He wants the whole of you. Secondly, to the respond to the whole of God, not just the bits you like. Habakkuk doesn't edit out the bits about God that he doesn't like, like we tend to do. Habakkuk knows that he is the piece of clay and God is the potter. The book of Jeremiah says of human beings who want to create God in their own image, because that's the natural default of humanity, to say, I like to think of God as this, so I wouldn't, I, the God I want to believe in does this and that. But Jeremiah says to people who do that, you get things the wrong way around, as if you're the potter and God is the piece of clay you can mold into your image. Are you kidding? 
Habakkuk takes God seriously at his word, but in context of the whole story. Some want God as creator, because it explains things, but not as my ruler that I should submit to him, that I should say, your will be done on earth. Some want God as forgiving, but not judging. They want a nice God. And I think in the last 20 years, some people want God to be judging and not forgiving. Accountability is the new black. So Habakkuk writes this poem about it in verses 3 through 15. And, and I don't know if when it was read to you a moment ago by Peter, it's a hard poem to read. It's a hard poem when you first read it to understand it. The poem talks about the fact that God is creator and judge of all the earth, that he will judge the earth, and yet he saves and forgives and redeems his people. There is a redeemer right here on earth. The poem in verses 3 through 15 tells the story of God's redemption of Israel, the exodus, the time in Mount Sinai, and probably even the conquest afterwards, layers all these truths about God in a stylized way, lifting your eyes up, a little bit like the end of Job. I'll put this up on the screen. In verses 3 through 7, Habakkuk recalls God's coming to meet Israel at Sinai, and those verses have allusions to the word of Moses in Deuteronomy 33. In 3 verse 4, Habakkuk says, God's splendor was like the sunrise. Rays flashed from his hands. There's Sinai, where his power was hidden. Plague went before him. Pestilence followed his steps, the ten plagues. God stood and shook the earth. He looked and made the nations tremble. And in verses 8 through 15, God is sort of acting as a mighty warrior on Israel's behalf. And these have allusions to the redemption of through the Exodus. And I think probably even conquest in 3 verse 11, sun and moon stood still in the heavens at the glint of your flying arrows, at the light, lightning of your flashing spear. In wrath you strode through the earth, and in anger you threshed the nations, like God is judge. But you came out to deliver your people, to save them, to redeem them, and to save, indeed, your anointed one, your Christ, your king, your, your son. This is God's dealing with Israel. God is creator, sustainer, ruler, redeemer. Habakkuk simply wants God to be God, not an image of his own mind. So this poem, 3 to 15, I think is in line with the sort of words that Moses would say, stylized and with higher language. And indeed there are, if I can use modern language, they're hypertexts, hypertexts, all the way through taking you back Habakkuk's history or Habakkuk's past to those redemptive moments. And Habakkuk knew those moments that happened hundreds of years before Habakkuk wrote these words. And so he says, please do it all again. In verse 2, Lord, I've heard of your fame through the exodus and the conquest. I stand in awe of your miraculous deeds, Lord. Please repeat them in our day. Renew them in our time. In our time, make them known in wrath remember mercy. In other words, Habakkuk only sees the muck and he says, I can see muck, but I know the narrative. I know the truth. I know the gospel as I understood it in the sixth century BC. And I'm telling you, Lord, do it again. Do it once more. I believe that we can have the same prayer ourselves. I've heard of 
the Old Testament, I've heard of the life of Jesus, I've heard of the early church and the revivals that took place, and we could say, Lord, I've heard of your fame, I stand in awe of your deeds, repeat them in our day. Do it again, Lord. The whole of you must respond to the whole of God in Jesus Christ and only God. Verses 7 to 18 are one of the reasons why this is one of the favourite chapters of the Bible. And I'm guessing that... Um, is Jen here? Where's Jen? Is 17 and 18 where it's at for you? Though the fig tree does not blossom. These words are profound and famous and they have held out hope for millions, for thousands of years, me included. Habakkuk says, though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vines. You say, just give me a few grapes and I'll be happy. Though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food. Though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I'll rejoice in the Lord. I'll be joyful in God my Saviour. These words here can be summed up by the Apostle Paul in Philippians 4, how we began our service today. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I'll say, rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord, not in the fig tree, not in the grapes, not in the olive crop or the fields or the sheep or the cattle. Rejoice in the Lord. These verses were very helpful to me in my teenage years where I had six years of great darkness. And I sang this song in a youth group. I won't sing it for you now. I shall spare you. But it was a happy song. Da -da 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 -da. Though the fig tree does not blossom, there's no fruit on the vine. And I knew at the time that I was going through incredible pain. Yet I'll rejoice in the Lord. This is a challenge, but also an invitation to a higher life. A life by faith. Fruit and fertility were symbols of God's favour in Deuteronomy. But Habakkuk says, even without them, I will rejoice in the Lord. In other words, in the end, it all could be stripped away. And I thank God that not all of it has been stripped away for most of us. Although I don't know where you're at at the moment. I don't know about you, but you probably could point to a thousand things in your life that are blessings. And we began our service after the first song with a thanksgiving for all his gifts so freely given. And yet it's worth asking the question, if it was all stripped away, all of it, and it will be, by the way, because death comes to us all, if it's all stripped away, can you still rejoice? Habakkuk says, I will rejoice only in God, not God in a few things that I want. Friends, do not let your joy depend on something that you can lose. Do not let your joy depend on something you can lose, and you can't lose God. Paul says in Romans 8, I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither principalities or powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. When it's the whole of you responding to the whole of God and only God, in the end, you get God. In modern church movements, evidence of the love of God is in his blessing of material possessions so that you can point to them and say, see, God does love me. But for Habakkuk, it's the opposite. Like so many in the Bible, stripped of everything, he relied on God and rejoiced in the Lord. 
In the Bible, it's not that your blessings may increase, although that's fine to pray, but rather, more importantly, that your faith may increase more and more. Psalm 73, whom have I in heaven but you, and earth has nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is my portion and the strength of my heart. Amen. Abraham knew it against all hope. Abraham in hope believed that God would give him the promised child to redeem the world. 25 years beyond childbearing age. The apostle Paul knew it. In Philippians, he's in jail, about to be executed, and people are undermining all the good work that he's done over the years. Has anybody ever done that to you? And yet he says, I'll rejoice in the Lord, and urges the Philippians to rejoice in the Lord, not in the things. Jesus himself knew it, stripped of everything. He said on the cross, into your hands I commit my spirit. And so I live by faith, not by sight. As Habakkuk says, the righteous will live by faith. The righteous will live by his faithfulness. I live by God's faithfulness in dark times. Another word from the Queen. I have been and remained very grateful to you for your prayers and to God for his steadfast love. Chesed. Indeed, I have seen his faithfulness. See, what has the Queen seen that I don't see? What does Habakkuk know? that I don't know. Isn't this picture here, a picture of verse 19? The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. That is, he enables me to tread upon the heights. He lifts me up. A deer famously has solid feet on the highest ground, and you can too. It's why Christians have been saying since the second century, lift up your hearts, and the people respond, we lift them up to the Lord. Lift up your hearts, we lift them up to the Lord. Or in the original Latin, up hearts, up to the Lord. Hmm? He makes my feet like the feet of the deer. He enables me to go to the heights. Notice these three things over the series. They're not cerebral. This is not an intellectual exercise primarily. And they aren't the answers to the problem of evil. I take it the answer to the problem of evil that God must have loving reasons why suffering must continue. And therefore I trust him and wait for him. But these three things are things you can do. Wrestle with God, wait for God, rely on God. And for those who are in Christ Jesus, wrestle with God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Wait for Christ's return and rely on Jesus, his passion and his power. We may not be able to trace God's hand, but we can trust his heart. And all these three things must be employed. It's a three-legged stool, you wedding prep couples. You don't want to lose any of them. If you wrestle without waiting, you might end up just angry. If you wait without wrestling, you end up numb. If you wait without relying, you could become impatient. But the book of Revelation tells you that your sins have been dealt with by the blood of the lamb, by Christ's passion, his death, and the Babylon's destruction has been secured. Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great, this symbol of all evil by Christ's resurrection and his rule. So what kind of realistic faith can you have in a world of pain? Well, last word from the queen. 
For me, the teachings of Christ and my own personal accountability before God provide a framework in which I try to lead my life. I, like so many of you, have drawn great comfort in difficult times from Christ's words and example, and I would add, his saving work. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary or lose heart. He went to the cross for the joy set before him. And that means we face the loss and the suffering and the difficulties, and we tell I tell myself, I have God and he is sufficient. Rejoice in the Lord. Know what God has done in the past and say to him, renew them in our day. I'll ask the musicians to come forward because this song that we're about to sing, It Is Well With My Soul, is the perfect way to respond to what we've just heard. It was written in the 19th century by Horatio Spafford who caught a boat from America to England ahead of his family. The family followed in a boat afterwards that was sunk and lost in the Atlantic Ocean. His wife was rescued and uh, telegrammed back uh, saying, all, all, uh, all lost uh, but me. He was taken back across the Atlantic Ocean as he passed the spot where he he'd lost everything, right? The fig tree does not blossom, there's no fruit on the vine. As he passed the spot where he lost his five daughters, he penned the song you're about to sing. It is well with my soul. But note in the middle of the song, he doesn't divorce it from the saving work of Jesus by dying on the cross. He says, my sin brackets, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, the whole lot of it was nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh my soul.